Isaiah 43 through 5. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Luke 1, 76-79 And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those giving, living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Amen. Let's give it up for Kathy and Rachel. I kind of like those two ladies. It was supposed to be two students, and Kathy jumped in at the last minute for us because uh, we had a cancellation because of the weather and everything, and so I really appreciate that um, today. We're in part two of our Advent series this morning, and that's why we're doing what we did with the candles. Uh, That word Advent, I kind of grew up really not knowing what it meant. You know, I'd heard it because we didn't celebrate it in our tradition and and where we were at in our church. We did like a lot of plays and and, and Christmas plays and dramas and children's productions and all those things. And Advent kind of got skipped over. That word just simply means the coming of or the arrival. And of course, as Christians, we're talking about the birth, the arrival of Jesus Christ. And of course, we know he's coming again, the second Advent of Jesus, and we're long awaiting that. But I want to dive in a little bit more, and we, I talked a little bit about why we light candles and all of that, and, and what this all kind of means with its Advent tradition. Uh, there's four candles because there's four weeks to Advent. There's four different uh, things. We're going to talk about that in a second. We light the candles because Jesus, it represents the light of Jesus coming into a very dark time in history, a very dark period of history where Jesus came and was born. Uh, the, the, the wreath, which we added this week, uh, is, is, is ever, it's supposed to be evergreen. It's really Walmart. But traditionally, it would, be, it would be evergreen, and it's in a circle which represents eternal life and the eternal grace of God that is available through Christ. And then there's the pink candle, which is going to be the third week, and you have to come back to hear about the pink candle. I'm not going to tell you about that today, but that's kind of what this is about. The Advent themes, let's look at the screen, the Advent themes. Last week, we talked about hope. If you missed that message, you can go back and look online and, 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 and hear that. Today, we're going to talk about peace. Next week is, uh, let's go back to the other slide, please. Next week is joy, and then the final week, which Pastor Cody already talked about, we're going to do a candle lighting service, and we're going to talk about love, and we're going to add a fourth candle, a fifth, excuse me, candle, the candle for Christ, representing Jesus Christ on that week, and light that candle, and you're going to have a candle. We're all going to experience that together with our families, so please be sure to be here for that on December 23rd. It's on a Sunday morning, regular time, but do something extra. Don't just come, invite somebody to come with you. And don't pull somebody out from their church. Invite somebody who doesn't go to church. People will go two times a year when they're invited. Christmas and, that's right, 
They're creasters. That's what we call them. All right? So they will come, and who's to say and who knows that the time that you invite them will change their life. So bring them on the 23rd. Invite somebody to come. So Advent, this season of waiting on the Lord, it's a season of anticipation and longing. And I don't have to tell you this, but we we live in a broken world. So whether we're following Jesus or not, all of us are longing and desiring something. So before we dive into the message, let me ask you one question. What are you longing for this Advent season? What are you longing for this Christmas season? Is it just something newer, shinier? What are you longing for? I submit to you, and by the way, we're all longing for something. I submit to you that if those four things, hope, peace, joy, and love, were activated in our life, in us and through us, I guarantee the list of those other longings and desires would be greatly reduced if those things were active in our life. Father, we bless your name today. I pray that your word would become alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword as we talk about your peace today. Do do a work, Lord, in my life. Do a work, Lord, in somebody's life here today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. When I went to Pakistan for the first time a couple of years ago, I mentioned this after I got back. I didn't before because I didn't want to scare Kathy. (laughs) But I had several nightmares before I went. And one in particular was extremely graphic. And I'd been captured and was being tortured and just all these horrible things. And so I woke up from that dream wondering if that was a warning from the Lord, if it was the Lord, you know, telling me don't go. Because I didn't feel peace about going. But somehow I still had peace about going. So I went. I want you to let me say it again. I didn't feel peaceful about going to Pakistan but somehow I still had peace about going, and so I went. I didn't understand that. I still don't quite understand how you can't feel it but have it until I began studying once again for this message, and I've preached on peace so many times. I've taught on it many, many times, all the popular scriptures. But until this time, God began to really reveal some new things about peace, about his peace. And I hope they're going to be helpful to you today. Now, peace has many definitions. It really depends on who you're talking to and the context of the conversation. It could mean a state of tranquility. It could mean being still and stopping all movement. I like that one, especially this time of the year. Anybody else with me? Come on. It could mean the end of an argument or fighting or even a war. The meaning that most of us want and cling to and desire in our life is freedom from oppressive thoughts and emotions. I think about anxiety. I think about depression. I think about those things. We're all longing for those. And we would all love to be able to say and believe, I am at peace in my mind. I am at peace in my heart. There is no conflict within myself. Amen? Anybody? 
Oh, come on now. There's three, three honest people in the room. All right. We use the word peace for all of those things that I just described, but how is the word defined in the New Testament? How did Jesus use it? How did Paul use the word in his letters? How did first century Christians look at the word and view the word peace? As you might expect, they didn't view peace the same way that we do. Come on, they were dying for their faith. Whole families were being fed to lions. Christian families. They were being tortured in prison, beaten. Their lives were anything but safe and peaceful. And yet they spoke of having peace. How is that possible? I think these folks have a lot to teach us if we'll hear and listen. John, uh, Jesus says in John chapter 14, 27, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, I am leaving you with a gift. How appropriate is that? It's Christmas. He's saying, I'm leaving you with a gift. He's about to be crucified. He's about to go away. They don't know that. I'm leaving you with the gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace, now get this, the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. Let me say it again. Jesus says, the peace that I am offering, the world can't offer to you. So don't be troubled or afraid. Don't be troubled or afraid. Now, this is interesting because his disciples, the next day, are about to go through the most confusing, difficult day of their lives. They don't know it, but he knows what they're about to see. They're about to witness their teacher, their master, their friend, the guy that's poured into them for three years. They're about to witness his wrongful accusing, his wrongful court time in the middle of the night, his beating, his torture, his crucifixion. They're about to see all of that. It's going to be the worst day of their life, and yet he is saying, don't be troubled or afraid. How is that even possible? But here we are struggling every day, listen, just to find a few moments of peace. Come on. Just a few moments of relief. Am I right? And we will go to great lengths to get them. We might look at, the, at a pill. We might look at the bottom of a, of a drink. We might isolate ourselves. It's escapism, and it's a quick fix because we're searching for a temporary peace. Jesus offers us a much different view and practice of peace. I want you to hear me today. The New Testament is full of passages, listen, about spiritual warfare and battle, about danger and perilous times, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 to put on the full armor of God. You don't put on armor unless you're about to fight, go to war. You don't put on armor to go sit on the couch. You don't put on armor to be still and tranquil. And yet the same man, Paul, speaks about a peace that passes all understanding. We sang about it this morning. The same man, Paul, speaks about a peace that will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Paul actually is teaching that it's possible to fight and be at peace at the same time. 
So there's a disconnect, I think, between our definition of peace and God's. There's a disconnect between our practice of peace and God's. So I think our first step today is to biblically define the word. In the Old Testament, the word is something you've probably, all of you heard, shalom. Anybody heard that? Shalom. In the the Old Testament, it's used this way, look at the screen, to, to show completeness or soundness. Completeness or soundness. Now, in the New Testament, the New Testament Greek word for peace is irene. I'm not kidding you. It's like the, the whip and the nene. I mean, I'm like, where did this word come from? I've, anybody heard irene? You've heard it? No, you have not. You've heard the whip and the nene. You haven't heard of irene. You haven't heard it because I haven't heard it. I'm the pastor. You get a pass this time on the. But irene, sorry, that was bad. Irene is the word in the Greek for peace. And it's used in the Greek culture just like we would use the word. A lack of conflict, uh, you know, being at peace in our mind and our heart, all those things. But in the New Testament, they use the word to mean this, wholeness. Being complete. Being content. So if we pull these and put them together We get the meaning, it's very clear, the Word of God is teaching us that peace is about being complete and whole, being content with what we have. This is exactly why Jesus came and died. We were missing a part of ourselves because we were separated from God because of sin, but he came and shed his blood so that we could be reunited with the Father and made complete and whole again. So look at the screen. Jesus would define peace as being complete in him. Everybody look at me. There is no other way to be complete without Christ. He is the only way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He is the only way that we can be complete in this world. He would define peace that way. So based on that definition of completeness and wholeness, I want to give us some takeaways today. I think these are important. And again, for me, it was, it was kind of new. It was a different angle on the whole thing. And then I want to spend a couple of minutes in worship and prayer at the end. So when I'm counseling somebody in my office, and they come to me with anxiety, which, by the way, is probably 90% of the time, because each one of us have a level of anxiety in our life. Come on, somebody. We live in a chaotic, crazy world, upside-down world. And so a lot of times we are anxious and afraid and those kind of things. But they come to me, and, and it's, it's, I hear the same thing a lot. Pastor, because I always ask, do you know the Lord? And, and most of the time they say, yes, I have Jesus. I know Jesus. I'm following Jesus. I'm a Christian, but I'm not feeling peace. That's what they say. I'm not feeling peace. Everybody look at me. Lean into this. There's a big difference between feeling peace and having peace. So point number one is peace is not a feeling. It is a state of being. Peace is not a feeling. It is a state of being. There is no promise in the New Testament about feeling peace. Did you know that? But there is plenty about having peace in the middle of your worst circumstances, the most confusing, most disappointing circumstances you can imagine. 
Do you think Jesus was feeling peace as they nailed him to a cross? Do you think Paul was feeling peace as he was staring down at the, at the ground with his head on a chopping block? Do you think Peter was feeling peace as they crucified him upside down? Do you think John was feeling peace as they boiled him in oil? What they felt was pain. Can we be honest today? What they felt was isolation. What they felt was grief and sorrow. But they still had peace. Because their peace wasn't based on a feeling. But on being complete in Christ. On having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that kind of peace is what strengthened them and enabled them to endure the worst possible treatment that we can imagine and endure and make it to the very end. And that kind of peace will help us do the same thing. Somebody needs to be encouraged with this point today. I want you to really get this. Look at the screen. We don't have to forfeit our peace just because we are honest about our feelings. We don't have to turn in our peace. We don't have to forfeit our peace just because we are honest about our feelings, just because we are going through something. It's not wrong to hurt. I'm speaking to somebody today. It's not wrong to feel pain or discouragement. It's not wrong to question a tragedy. We don't have to trade in our peace just because we get emotional. It's not a lack of faith to admit you're going through something and that you need help. The peace of God. This this might be the big idea. The more I read these notes and the more I pray and the more I study, I didn't put it down this way. I didn't write it this way. It's not on the screen this way, but I'm really convinced the big idea of this whole thing is the peace of God is not attached to our feelings. It is a gift of God and it stands all by itself so that no matter what's happening in your life, no matter what you are going through, it will stand on its own. It's not attached to whether or not you're having a good day or not. You can have the peace of God that passes all understanding no matter what you're going through, no matter what anxiety you're feeling, no matter what depression you're battling, you can have and possess the peace of God. Somebody give God praise. Hallelujah. Now, what Jesus is saying in that scripture is that the world's peace doesn't operate like that. You cannot find that kind of peace drinking alcohol or doing drugs. It's a temporary fix to dull your feelings. And we take it as having peace for a few minutes, a few hours, and then what? It's right back. God help us. Again, my point is that we can be walking through the most difficult season of of our lives and still have and possess peace. My second point mirrors the first. Look at the screen. Christian peace is independent of outward circumstances. We've been talking about inner things and, and anxiety and depression and things like that. It's also independent of outward circumstances that are outside of our control. In other words, our peace does not have to be affected by what's happening around us. You can't control that. How awful would it be if your peace is based on things that you can't even control? And yet that's the way we live. 
so often. But let me tell you something. Our peace does not have to be affected by what's happening around us because of the one who's living in us. If you are a follower and believer in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit residing in you. You have the Spirit of Christ on the inside. Hallelujah. Look at Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, verse 22 on the screen. It's in the NIV today. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. Just pause. Look at me. I love that. He took a nap. I love that. I love it because guess what? If Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Messiah, took a nap, I get to take a nap. Is anybody encouraged this morning? Amen. Just pausing right there. He took a nap. A squall came down on the lake, a storm, so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. So you got it in our mind now. They're out on the middle of the lake. The, the Sea of Galilee is actually freshwater, but it's very prone to these storms because of the mountains and everything. So here they are in the middle of the lake. They were fishermen, but swimming was not a thing back then, so they didn't swim well. They were afraid of what was about to happen. Verse 24. The disciples went and woke him up saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. And I think in parentheses it's pretty safe that we could say, And you're taking a nap? (laughs) Come on, I'm about to hit home with somebody. How many have ever been praying and felt like God was taking a nap? It's real. He got up and rebuked the wind. And the raging waters. Jesus, listen what's happening. Jesus is taking charge of his outside circumstances because he's God in the flesh. He's taking charge over nature because he's God. And the storm subsided and was calm or at peace. And he says, where's your faith? <laughs> They're like, are you serious? In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this guy? We've seen so much, but this takes the cake. He just told the storm to stop, and it obeyed. He commands the winds and the water, and they obey him. Here's the lesson. Jesus was napping in the middle of the storm because he had peace before the storm ever came because he is the prince of peace. He is the prince. Oh, wait, it gets better. He had peace before he ever spoke to the wind in the waves. He was in the middle of the storm. He was napping. He had peace because he is the prince of peace. And if we have him in our heart, in our life, we have the prince of peace residing in us. Now, he did this to demonstrate his power to his disciples, to let them give him another clue onto who he was. And I want to tell you, he still has the power to calm storms in our life. He still has the power to calm storms in our life. And sometimes, listen, that's exactly what he does. So we should never stop praying that way. We should never stop praying, Lord, calm the storm in my life. We should never, ever stop praying that. 
We should never stop praying like his disciples. Master, I'm going to drown here. Come on. Lord, I'm going down. I need your help. But get this, and this is the tough, this is the other side of the coin. It's tough. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he did not leverage his divinity. He did not pull out the power card of being the son of God. He allowed those Roman soldiers to destroy his body, to beat him beyond recognition, to nail him to the cross because he knew there was purpose in his pain. And because he knew there was purpose in his pain, he still had peace. Even through all of the horrible torture, disfigurement, isolation, he still had peace because he knew he was walking in the purpose that his father had called him. He knew he was walking in the will of his father. The peace of God does not always come through the absence of conflict. The peace of God does not always come through the absence of problems, through the absence of pain in our life. That leads us to our third point. Christian peace is marked by being in the will of God. Christian peace is marked by being in the will of God. Anybody heard of William Carey? He was the father of world missions in the 1700s. He lived in Europe, but... Loved God so much. God radically saved him, changed his life. And he felt called to India in the 1700s. It's hard enough to go to India right now. But he felt called to go to India as a missionary. This wasn't a thing back then. This was brand new. He took his whole family to India in 1786, something like that. He didn't have his first convert for seven years. That's the least of it. During that first seven years, his son contracted dysentery and died. His wife began to struggle with mental health issues terribly. Listen to what he said before his first convert. This is indeed the valley of the shadow of death to me, but I rejoice that I am here nonetheless, and God is here. This is a man who's lost his son. His wife is struggling. He hasn't had a convert yet, been there seven years, and yet he is some, and he's he's honest. Look, he's honest. I'm going through the worst period of time in the season of my life. I'm hurting, but I rejoice nonetheless And God. How else could you pin that statement without having and possessing the peace of God? Come on, you can live in the lap of luxury, have the biggest house on the block, the biggest bank account, the fattest bank account, drive the fastest, nicest car, and never, ever have peace. There's only one way to have the perfect peace like this. 
And that's by doing the will of the Father. Following what he's called you to do. Everybody listen to me. I'm, 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 I'm closing. I know this wasn't a long sermon. It didn't need to be. Sometimes there is purpose in our pain. Sometimes even when we pray for relief and pray for a, a long time for relief, God allows that pain to continue. And he may or may not clue us in on why in this lifetime. And for me to sit here and stand here, try to explain that to you, try to explain the loss of a child or a tragedy or an accident or a sickness or a death, that's way above my pay grade. I can't do it. I would do a terrible job trying to explain that. But here's what I want you to know and know this. If you are following Jesus this morning, if you know him and you're doing your best to walk in his will and yet you are still suffering and you've been praying to God that he would relieve you of that, you need to understand that God is not punishing you. I thought somebody would be relieved to hear that and that would be good news. God is not punishing you. That's not the way the new covenant works. The blood of Jesus is more powerful than that. Come on. The enemy will tell you this is a a punishment for something you've done in the past or that you continue to struggle with. That's not the way the new covenant in Jesus works. Jesus is not standing up in heaven with a lightning bolt waiting for you to mess up. He loves you. He is there. He will not forsake you. He will not leave you alone, even in your suffering. And the point that I'm trying to make today and get across to you is that his peace, God's peace, the peace of God is available even in your worst circumstances, even in these worst, darkest moments. It is available because it's not based on our feelings. It's not based on outward circumstances. It's based on his presence and us following him and walking in his will. Come on. And if I know I'm in his will, then I can endure. If you know that you're walking in God's will, you can endure. Because this life is not all that she wrote. Hallelujah. Come on, hallelujah. Let me end with one of the most popular, if not the most popular scripture on peace in the New Testament. And then I want to sing this song one more time and then pray for you. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Everybody say that. With thanksgiving. Say it again. With thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Guard your heart and your mind even in the most difficult season of your life. Paul says that we should pray In every situation, we've already talked about that. We need to never give up on prayer. But the final point, the final piece in this may be the most important takeaway, so listen up. Thanksgiving lifts to the surface the peace in God we already have. 
Thanksgiving lifts to the surface the peace in God we already have. If you have Jesus, you have peace. If you have Jesus, you have peace. For all of you who know Christ, I want you to say this. I have Jesus. Therefore, I have peace. Let me do it again. I have Jesus. Therefore, I have peace. It may be buried. Come on. No, you don't have to say that. Listen, I'm done. That peace that you have may be buried. It may be underneath a bunch of junk and chaos and sin and problems and struggles and relationships and work and school and all of this stuff that we have. It may be buried down deep, but when we begin to praise God, when we begin to give thanks in every situation, that that peace that passes understanding begins to bubble up to the top and we sense the presence of God and we know no matter what, I have peace in my life and I am going to make it in Jesus' name. Now give him the best hand clap of praise. Come on. Hallelujah. We are complete. We are whole. We have peace in Christ and in him alone. 